You know, a recent New York Times article had the following title, America's Mothers Are in Crisis, Is Anyone Listening to Them? The article pointed to the other headlines that repeat the theme like a drumbeat, one saying working moms are not okay today, another saying that the pandemic has tripled anxiety and depression symptoms in new mothers, and moms are reaching the breaking point. You can also see the problem in statistics and numbers. Almost one million moms right now have left the workforce with minority and single mothers among those who have been the hardest hit. In 2020, almost one in four children experienced food insecurity. Philip Fisher, professor of psychology, who runs a national survey on the impact of the pandemic on families with young children, notes that the the stressors placed on moms right now are magnified by other issues, including poverty, race, and having special needs children. Also, that of being a single parent. He also says people are having a hard time making ends meet. That makes the parents stressed out. And then the parents stressed out makes who stressed out? The children stressed out. 70% of mothers have said that worry and stress have damaged their health. So now they're suffering physically because of these stressors. So the Times wanted to give mothers across the country an opportunity to scream it out. So they set up a phone line. Hundreds responded to this phone line with shouts, cries, guttural yells, and... Yes, some expletives. A 30-year-old mom with two kids under four captured what many moms are feeling today. I don't know how to feel sane again. I am stuck in this position for God knows how much longer. So moms, wives, women, all the above... Do you find yourself in a crisis today? Do you find yourself suffering today? And are you asking that question? Maybe you've come here today wondering, is anybody listening? Does anyone see my anguish? Does anyone hear my cries? Well, if so, I hope that today's story encourages you in just that. That yes, somebody is listening. I wanted to do a Mother's Day sermon, uh, especially in the time period that we find ourselves in, because the pandemic has really kind of upped the ante on moms, on women, on working women, on wives and on families in general. So I really wanted to kind of focus on that major stressor and how that, I've said this before, how this major stressor that we've gone through right now, it's kind of made and multiplied all those other pains and sufferings that we're facing. And it's just made matters worse, especially for moms. 
And I know it's a Mother's Day sermon. We're going to be focusing on a particular woman. Actually, she's not a mom yet, and that's part of the problem. And even though it focuses on a mom or a mom-to-be, this really applies to all women of all walks of life, singled, married, or without children, and, of course, to all of us in general. As I said, we're going to be looking at a woman who finds herself in a crisis, who finds herself suffering, and possibly wondering herself, is anyone listening? And it's what she does in the midst of this crisis that is the essential aspect of this message. So we're going to look at this story. We broke it up and broke it up into four parts. Uh, So the first part that we're going to be looking at is the pain, verses 1 through 8. So open your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 1. You can follow along with me. There was a certain man from Ramath in Zophim, the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and all her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Do you know that one in six couples struggle with infertility? One in four couples over the age of 35 struggle with infertility. In one study, 63% of women who experienced infertility and divorce rated their infertility as more painful than their divorce. In another study, women who experienced either chronic or life-threatening diseases ranked the emotional pain of infertility at similar levels or greater than that of a terminal illness. The author says this, Sadly, this issue of infertility is often very misunderstood. People take it very lightly and are extremely insensitive to it. A person with a chronic disease or terminal illness gets support from those around them. But a couple struggling with this issue 
the same people that offer the support to those individuals do not offer such support to these individuals and actually give them support through platitudes like, why can't you just count all of your blessings? We meet our main character, Hannah. And the story is going to focus on this character and our character, Hannah, is in a lot of pain. And this pain is caused by her barrenness. But this pain is multiplied because of those individuals around her. It's, it is that much greater because of the provocation of one individual and the insensitivity of another. Folks, I, I use the word pain for this because the word problem lacks emotion. And it lacks the sensitivity, especially in this area, that is desperately needed. And it is a day like today that we need to be very, very sensitive to this issue. Because the church and the people who surround an individual or a family that is suffering with the problem of infertility or barrenness can either help them and help them heal and comfort them in their pain, or they can irritate that pain and they can make it worse. So I see three real problems that Hannah is facing, three things that are causing her pain, mainly because of the pain of her barrenness. So that's the first issue that we're looking at, and especially in Hannah's day, it was extremely painful. Because this was a cultural issue as well. And to be barren uh, was very shameful for a woman. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just an emotional and psychological issue that she was struggling with. It was a spiritual one. Because they were thought to be cursed of the Lord. So now we're getting to see the picture exactly what Hannah is going through. So there she is, she's a woman during this day, and not only is she barren, but she is surrounded by individuals who don't understand this pain and suffering, and only make it worse. It's pretty interesting to see here that they are going up to the Lord in worship, because Elkanah, right, he seems to be a, a devoted guy. He is sinning at the same time. He is practicing polygamy. It says he has two wives, and this is, you know, I, I guess one of the, the, the best applications of this is, right, don't, don't have two wives. It's just going to cause more problems, right? I mean, but any time that we are disobedient to the Lord in one area, that usually affects other areas in our family, does it not? And it makes those problems worse. But the pain that Hannah is experiencing is first I want to focus on that pain because of the culture, because of the shame, is now multiplied because of that situation that she finds herself in. But then there's this other lady, isn't there? Peninnah. And what is Peninnah doing? And actually I think what Peninnah is doing is kind of is kind of brought upon because of Elkanah and the way he's treating her. He thinks he's being nice to her by giving her 
extra portions, which he is. He loves her. He's, he's devoted to her. But what do you think Peninnah's doing? Do you think she's jealous? Absolutely. And she's looking at all that attention that Hannah's getting, and what is she doing? She's pointing out something that Hannah doesn't have. She is provoking, and actually it means to irritate her sore. So now I think we get the picture. So here's this open wound that Hannah has, and there is Peninnah kind of irritating, pouring salt on it, poking at it, and just making it that much hurt, more hurt, hurtful. And we look at that and we say, yeah, there's no way we're going to do that. We're not going to poke someone sore, are they? But folks, we can do this unintentionally. We can do this unintentionally by placing a, a certain, by lifting up a certain position, such as having children, and ignoring the fact that there are certain individuals out there that can't. And we can irritate that wound unintentionally. And I think that's why, and especially on a day like today, we need to be sensitive to that aspect. Because our goal is to heal individuals' wounds. The goal of the church is a place where people can come to and they can receive comfort. And they can receive encouragement. Some women want children, but they can't. Some women want to get married, but they haven't had the opportunity. Some don't have happy marriages, right? So we need to remember all of these things. We have to be careful reminding them of what they are missing. We may not irritate these wounds intentionally, but unintentionally. And that's why sensitivity, care, and concern is of absolutely utmost importance. And we definitely don't want to offer them platitudes like, count your blessings, so not only is she being provoked by Peninnah, right? Then who's the other person who's kind of not really helping the situation? El Elkanah, right? If, any, if anyone should, you know, maybe I can turn to my husband. Maybe he's going to understand. Uh, probably not. I'm not sure about you guys, but uh, I've said some things, right? That probably shouldn't have even entered into my mind, let alone let alone come out of my mouth, right? But I say them to my wife. And, and then I, as I say them, I, I kind of see those words coming out in slow motion. There they are. And I'm like, they're not going to land well. And there they go. And I'm trying to get them back. And by then, guess what? Way too late. I'm sure you guys have experienced something like that. Well, here's a few things that probably we shouldn't I guess that's, you know, why we have that proverb, better to think someone a fool than to open their mouth and prove it, right? So here's some things you don't want to say to your wife, guys, especially probably on Mother's Day. Um, how about this one? You should have asked for help with that after the disaster. Um, how about another one? Why are you doing it that way? Maybe they've gotten their hair cut. Maybe they've lost some weight. Maybe they've redecorated and you say, yeah. Looks the same to me. Um, how about this one? I tried this one early on in our marriage. Love is logical. Yeah, yeah. Eyebrows raised. Yeah, there was a lot of emotions with that logical conversation. Here's another one. Why are you crying about that? That's a good one. It always goes over real well. What are you crying for? Right? 
And then, uh, this is a good one. I don't know how one person could have so many emotions in the time span of 24 hours, so I'm sure. That's definitely not something that you want to say you're right. Well, let's add Elkanah, because he really, he covers like three bases here, right? He gets three of them all in one shot. What does he say? Hey, why are you crying about that? Why are you weeping? And then, why are you sad? And then... The big one, count your blessings. Look at this guy. (laughs) Why are you sad? Am I not better than 10 sons? I mean, come on, you got this guy. At that point, Elkanah was never heard from again. (laughs) Hannah wept more. (laughs) Guys, you can buy your wives a bunch of gifts. You can give them a ton of things. You can build their houses. You can do all of these things. I tell you what, if we don't, we, I include myself in this, if we don't give them sensitivity, understanding, love, and compassion, we're not giving them what they need. It's what she needed. She needed that from Elkanah. He gave her food she needed understanding. Granted, granted, the verse wasn't written, right? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Treat them as a weaker vessel with grace, compassion. Love them as Christ did what? Love the church and gave himself up for it. Hannah felt alone. Surrounded by people who didn't understand, but there's an individual we didn't mention, but they mentioned who closed her womb. He did, right? Women, wives, moms, you might feel alone today, you might be surrounded by individuals that don't understand you, that are insensitive to your pain. He knows. He's watching. He is in control, and he is the one that you take that pain to. Brings us to our second part, the prayer versus 9 through 18. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. 
A woman tells a story uh, about being in a state of desperation. She says, my name is Penny. I'm a single mother of five children. Three years ago, when my youngest child was a year old, a succession of events destroyed the life that I had known. I was in a relationship with someone for 10 years. He was a, a good fella. He had a decent job. We were off welfare. My life seemed to be on an upswing. But then all of a sudden, he fell back into a drug addiction. It took over his life, and she left him, leaving her to support her five kids alone. She was then evicted from her apartment, and the only place for the kids and her to go was a motel room, which was $324 a week, uh, which was $343 in rent a week, and she made $324 a week. She had to begin to clean the rooms in the middle of the night at the motel, and she made $3.00. For each room that she cleaned and that helped to feed the kids during the week. She said that her kids were attending a a church ministry and she started to attend. She really enjoyed it, but her life became overwhelming. She said it was hard to see my children suffering. She said I could no longer take care of them. So one night she was in the parking lot and she prayed to the Lord if she were to give them up to the state. She prayed and cried and heard no answer. She said they were suffering because of my inability. I was trying to fix things, but it wasn't working. Working. After a few more weeks, she fell deeper into a hole that she couldn't get out of. One day after work, she was at the end of her rope. And there was barely anything to feed the children. They were arguing with each other. She had a terrible, stressful day at work, and she had to clean rooms all night. She said there was nowhere, no one to help. No one I could turn to. So she sat down at the tiny table in the room, closed her eyes, and she prayed. She asked God for strength. She said, I don't need money. I just need endurance at this time. She asked for him to give her children peace and to just give her a little sign that everything was going to make, that everything was going to be all right, that she was going to. To make it. Women, wives, moms, maybe you find yourself in the midst of a crisis today. Maybe you are surrounded by people who are insensitive and do not understand you. Maybe you are wondering what you need to do. Follow their example. You know, sometimes we think of prayer as the last resort but it is the absolute most important and best thing that we can do when we find ourselves in a difficult situation. This woman in our illustration and Hannah turns to God. All of her anguish, all of her pain, she pours her soul out before the Lord. She's at the end of her rope. And she asked God to deal with her pain. If there is anything that we get from this message today, it is just that. People are going to disappoint us. People will not understand us. They're not going to say the right things all the time. He knows. He sees your pain. 
He sees your suffering and he hears your cries. Turn to him. Pour your heart out to God. Listen to what Alistair Begg says about prayer. Our conversation with others declares what is on our minds, but our conversation with God in private reveals what is in our hearts. Listen to someone pray. You will gain a window into the very center of their being. Isn't that true? We can approach God and be completely honest with Him. He has heard it all. He wants us, He calls us to pour our souls out before Him. And listen to what is on Hannah's heart. Hannah's prayer is a model prayer for us. And before we start to say things like, ah, she made a deal with God, you know, she's kind of trying to bribe God, Uh uh-uh. That's her heart. There are two things that Hannah keeps as a priority in her prayer. The first thing is in the answer to her prayer, her shame and pain is going to be alleviated. Is that okay to pray for that? Sure. Why not, right? I pray for it all the time. But what is the second aspect of that prayer? Who's going to be glorified in the answer to that prayer? God is going to be glorified. Do you see the two connected? An answer for our concerns, our heartfelt concerns, but at the same time, the priority of devotion and glory to God. That's what she does in that vow. And actually... The vow that she makes here is a Nazarite vow. It's the same vow that Samson was told to take by the Lord. What the Lord asked of Samson's parents, Hannah gives willingly. Here's my son. If you do this, I will do this. But listen to the content of her prayer and listen to her heart and what she is saying. This is a woman full of passion, emotion, commitment, devotion, and love for God. If you remember me, remember me. She calls God to remember her. Telling him to look upon her affliction. Look, Look, Lord, see what I'm going through? Can you help me out of this? But notice, what does she say three times? Your maidservant. Do you see that? This is a woman who knows God. That is what this prayer reveals. She knows God enough to be completely honest with him and pour out her heart, but she also knows and remembers her position before him. I'm your maidservant. And this is an act of trust. She knows that God is the only one that can change this problem. That's faith. She doesn't turn to some self-help book. She doesn't turn to her horoscope. She doesn't turn to her friends. She turns to the only one who truly sees her, the only one who truly understands her, and the only one who can truly help her. It's him. It's the only one. 
You in pain? Pour it out before him. Just like the psalm says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. I cried to God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. This isn't some rote, formal prayer. This is a woman who spreads her soul out before the Lord and says, here it is. What can you do? Help me. So much emotion, so much compassion, I mean so much passion that Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli the priest was listening or was watching and opening his mouth, he pours out wisdom, comfort, and understanding, alleviating the distress of Hannah. Does your, does your translation say that? No. Oh, for two, guys. Oh, for two. What is the matter with these guys, right? Holy cow. I'm really nervous now. Do you know why? Because not only am I a husband, I'm a pastor. Right? I, have, I, I counsel people. I'm just going to be like, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to write stuff down, read it before I say it. What? What a maroon. You know, what's interesting, what's interesting about all of this, Hannah's response to her crisis, right, is, is, a, is a very good response. She goes to God. But guess what? It's also, it's also pointing out her response to the people around her. She's surrounded by numbskulls, right? And she's not lashing out at them. And, but, you know, she kind of challenges Eli, and she's like, what do you... No, I'm not doing that. Don't call me worthless. He, Eli kind of backs it up, right? And he's like, may the God, may the Lord answer your conviction. Good job, All right? He feels bad. I don't understand. The, 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 the person who stands out in this story is Hannah. And Eli is really funny because there he is. He's correcting her, right? And he's like, why are you drunk? Put away your wine. He's got two sons that are the, two of the most wicked priests around. Hey, Eli, guess what? Don't focus on Hannah. She's the one you want to encourage. Focus on these two guys. These are your problems. It's, I read this story, and I'm just like, dude, this isn't good for men right now. <laughs> what happens? Does she go away sad? Nope. Where does she leave that sadness? I think we, cut, we carry sadness around with us, and we don't need to. And I'm not sure, we'll get into this, I'm not sure if this is the first time she prayed. Maybe this is the first time she makes this vow before the Lord. But if you have sadness, you have a hurt, you have a pain, there's a place to leave that. It's at the foot of the cross. Because guess what? We have a high priest who understands, don't we? We have a high priest who can do what? Sympathize with us. We have a high priest who took that pain and suffering, and his name is Jesus Christ. Bring the sadness to God. He's got a bottle big enough for all of your tears. 
Our third part to this is the answer to her prayer. The provision, verses 19 through 20. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with, his, with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Came about in due time after Hannah conceived that she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. As I said before, I think it's important to note that it, this possibly isn't the first time that Hannah prayed. Right? She, she would go up every year. This would happen every year where she was provoked. It says every time she went up, she'd weep. So I'm imagining she probably prayed before, and maybe this was the, the one time that she really pours her soul out before the Lord, and she makes this vow before the Lord. But there are, there's something else that she kept doing. You know, because God's not always going to answer our prayer in our way or in our time. And this is why I say provision. He is going to provide something. And that something or someone is going to be a blessing in our life. That is going to be the best that God has for us. He'll take care of that. But notice, what does she do? She gets up and she worships before the Lord. So the deal that we make with God isn't, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to keep praising you. I'm going to keep worshiping you if you answer my prayer, is it? But many people treat God that way. Our following Him, our devotion and dedication to Him is based upon him giving us what we want and what we ask for. That's, that's not what's happening here. Two constants in our life. Two constants that never, never, never change. Praise and prayer. The two go hand in hand. Whether he answers our prayers or not. Whether he answers them in the time that we want them to be answered, or in the way that we want them to be answered, doesn't change. It doesn't change His worthiness. It doesn't change His goodness. It doesn't change the fact that He cares for us, and it shouldn't change our response to Him. What happens is, is we move away from Him. But it's at this time when we find ourselves in the midst of a crisis, that we need to draw closer to Him. And we do that, praise and prayer. Two constants. And notice, she says this, the Lord remember. it says this, the Lord remembered her. Remembered her. I like that because often we pray and we may be praying for the same thing over and over and over again. What's it feel like? He's forgotten us, doesn't it? Lord, do you remember us? Do you see me down here in this pain? He does. He does. So what happened to our single mother? I don't want to leave you hanging. I split up that story intentionally just to leave you hanging for a little bit. So there she was. She was at the end of her rope. There's nothing else to do. Kids were hungry. She had no money. 
She prayed. She goes, after I prayed, I lifted up my head and I took a deep breath. Right at that moment, knock at the door. Two people from the care team at church, she said, they were holding a cup. The cup was filled with candy. When she saw it, she said, I cried. I still don't know who those people were. There were still some hard times after that. But God answered my prayer. He gave me strength. The strength that I needed to find a new life. I joined a small group and became part of that wonderful church family. God has moved me to a great place to live, two blocks from that church. He also gave me a promotion at work so I don't have to clean motel rooms anymore. She said, I remember so clearly the feelings of helplessness that day, saying, if I can just make it through today. She said, but our God is faithful. I look at my cup every day now. I keep it in my car as a reminder that when we as people are at our lowest, helpless and broken, if we just turn to God, He'll bring us a cup. The cup may not be exactly what we asked, but He is not going to leave you or forsake you. He will remember you. Cry out to Him. He'll bring you a cup. And that cup is His cup of blessing. Notice that Hannah kind of writes down the fact that God answered her prayer. Hannah's name means compassion, favor, and grace. And Samuel's name means, actually it means his name is God or something along, but when you break it up, it means the Lord has heard me. The Lord has answered. I made a request. This is what she says at the end. He has granted me what I asked of him. And here in this passage, she says that he has heard me. She puts a reminder Samuel is a constant reminder that God hears our prayers. So when we pray, when you're in that time of desperation and he answers those prayers, write that down. Because there's going to come another time where we're wondering, Lord, hey, do you see me? Have you forgotten? And you can go to that place and be like, oh, okay, I, I remember that you've had favor compassion on me. Samuel was a constant reminder of God's grace and compassion of a God whom Hannah knew very, very well and whom she was faithfully devoted to so much so that she gives him her only son. Brings us to our fourth part, the placement, verses 21 through 28. Then the man Elkanah went up to his house with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, remain until you have weaned him, only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one epaph of flour and a jug of wine. 
and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me a petition, that my petition, which I have asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Hey, it's right off the bat, two things I think is really important for us with prayer is to be specific. Right? Hannah prays for, a, prays for a son, right? She wanted a son, and part of that was so that she could dedicate him to the Lord. I remember one time I was fishing with a buddy, and uh, he, he was not a, a believer, at, at, I don't think, at this time. I don't think he is still. But uh, he was, we were fishing, and I prayed. I tried to be a witness by praying. As I prayed, God, can, we see, can, we, can you give us lots of fish today, right? That's a good fisherman prayer, I think, right? So you ask for lots of fish. Hey, say, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. And we walk down the road and we go to the bridge and we look down. And in the stream, I'm not kidding, there was just piles of fish piled up. Everyone's like, yeah. I go down there and they're junk fish. They're, they're, they're spawning carp. And like, if you know anything about fish, this isn't really, I mean, now I could fish for them because they're, they're a big fight. But so I learned a lesson there. And I said, well, God answered our prayer. I just didn't pray for trout. So you've got to be very, very specific, just like Hannah was specific. But also, what do we see right off the bat here? Whatever we ask for in prayer is God's provision and ultimately belongs to him. You know, sometimes we, we ask for things and God gives us those things and then we're like, it's mine. You, know, you can never have it back. I'm going to do what I want with it. And we hold on to it so much so and that grip we won't let go of. Hannah is a mother now, and she's also an example of what all mothers should do. I see really two principles here that we're going to be looking at this last part before we finish up. There's a daughter who tells a story that she was participating in a parenting class at church. And she explained this to her six-year-old daughter, Kayla, that she was taking this course to help her be a better mommy, right? Who doesn't want to help be a better mommy? Well, I guess dads probably won't want to be a better mommy. The next Sunday after church, Kayla became very upset and was having a tantrum because she wasn't getting her way. Both parents tried to calm her down. But with tears streaming down her face in a loud voice, she announced to her mother, you told me you were taking a course to be a better mommy. Yeah? Well, it's not working. I know that there are many moms out there that want to be better mommies. Maybe a course will help. I'm not, not quite sure. And it's hard because guess what? You're not going to be perfect, are you? We're not going to be perfect parents. We're going to mess up. And it's even harder when our kid gives us that F, right? Hey, you're a terrible job right now. It's just, you're failing. F. At least it's an F plus. You know, I go for an F plus once in a while. There are certain things that we can do. We can try our best. I see two important things here. 
One of the, the first thing is that our ultimate goal in, in life for our children is that they serve the Lord. It doesn't matter the worldly success that they have. It doesn't matter how many friends they have. It doesn't matter how popular they have. It doesn't matter how good looking they are. It doesn't matter the expensive clothes that we buy them. None of that matters more than them serving the Lord. That is Hannah's primary goal. We only have our children for a certain period of time and then we have to let them go. During that time, Hannah's time was short, but she dedicates him to the Lord where he's going to learn about the Lord, isn't he there? He's getting the full-blown education on the Lord. It is the primary goal of every parent that is a Christian parent that we raise them in the Lord. That is success. We do our best to point them to God. To point them to Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can satisfy them. He is the only one that can help them. He's the only one that can truly guide them. Because he's the only one that knows them. Better than you and I can ever. Number one goal. She is satisfied knowing that her child is going to serve the Lord. We love them as He loves them. We guide them as He would guide them. We point them to the Scriptures. We raise them up in the Lord. And we give them over to Him. Second principle. But I want to point out something here. Hannah gives... Samuel to the Lord long before he ever leaves that home. Doesn't she? Hannah gives Samuel to the Lord before he is even born. What an aspect and principle of our faith. That child does not belong to us. And I know right now there are kids that are going to be leaving home and this is going to hit home, isn't it? And this is really, really hard. But if we give our children before they leave that home to the Lord, that day is going to be that much easier, isn't it? Because we said we've done all we can. And we said to the Lord, Lord, you're better at this than I am. He's the only one who can save them. He's the only one who can help them. He's the only one who can truly protect them. He's the only one who what? Knows their future. And as much as we want to control their future, as much as we want to program their future, we can't. I'm going through this. You know, my daughter's going to start driving. I want to, like, be in the back seat with some spike strips, throwing them out as cars pass by. I might actually still do that. It's a really good idea. We can't do that, can we? There are kids that are going to be leaving our homes soon, Right? Give them to God now. Trust them with him now. And that is going to make that day much easier. Isn't it? And the best thing 
that we could want for them is what Hannah wants for Samuel. Not that he serves the Lord for a period of time. That he does so his entire life. His name was Tim. This child tells this story. He was the bane of my existence. I can't remember now any particular thing he did to irk me. Tim, Ken, well, I don't think this is you they're talking about, so you're all right. He said, I simply recall, she says, from the fourth grade on, he gave me a general sense of panic. Tim was unpredictable, content one moment and angry at me the next. I half feared him and I half loathed him. I thought of slugging him in the nose and that might solve the problem. My mom suggested something else. Pray for him, just like a mom, she thought. But she insisted, and each night before bed, she prayed. She encouraged me to pray as well for Tim. I don't remember either of us asking God that I would like him more. Seems that my mom always prayed for his peace. Over time, something remarkable happened. Tim seemed calmer, he was nicer. He grew more peaceful, and I grew less fearful of him. God answered our prayers. She goes on. That's what God does. He answers prayers. His eagerness to meet our needs is an important element of his character. I'm convinced my mother knew that full well. She recognized my crisis as one through which God could whisper a word to me about who He is. She clung to God's promise to offer peace to His children. And she was confident that God would hear me when I cried out to Him. God hears our pain-filled prayers. Are you in the midst of a crisis? You find yourself filled with pain? There is a direct line. The direct line is to Him. He hears your prayers. He sees your pain. He understands all of it. He is the one who can lead you through it and lead you out of it, providing you with more than you can ever imagine. Hannah's story is really like all of our story. We wonder, is someone listening? Does anyone see my pain and suffering? The answer, a resounding yes. We have the book of Samuel to prove it. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers and answer them. Lord, help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to take all of our concerns, all of our worries, all of our anxieties to you, knowing that you see us and you hear us, and answer them to alleviate our stress, alleviate our trouble, but also for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.